0: Our calling as the church, as God's people, is to be faithful in all things. Amen? Amen. And we want him to have his own way with us. We're so thankful that we are kept in his love as the moment-by-moment song that we sang. We are truly a privileged church, and I'll probably say that very often. I find myself saying that very often, but tonight I have the great privilege of sharing God's good and perfect word to you. So I'm excited. I cannot express to you how blessed I have been these past few months since we've been in this book. Who would have ever known that we would be able to get so much out of the book of Leviticus? And I say that really to our shame, to my shame, because we think of something like that, that seems to be so obsolete, so archaic, right? 3,500 years ago, and yet it was God's good and perfect word then, and it still is. And we need to understand it, and everything is for us. So God is extremely powerful. And he's been powerful as he's been showing us all the things in his word, both in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and now in Leviticus. So God's ways are and have always been and always will be wonderful. Right? We serve a God who does not change. And though the context and the conditions 3,500 years ago were much different, right? God still remains the same. So this evening, we're going to be in chapter 11, looking at clean and unclean animals. It doesn't sound very exciting, maybe, to our flesh. How is this supposed to be relevant for us today, but hopefully You guys will see exactly what we're going to be in store. So my title for this evening is going to be our reasonable service, and I hope that you will see the reason why I called it this as we look and go through this scripture. So will you stand with me in honor of reading God's good and perfect word, and I'm going to read the whole entire chapter. So let's give our attention to his perfect word. Leviticus chapter 11, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard. And the scripture says this, The Lord spoke again to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals, that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those which chew the cud or among those which divide the hoof. The camel, for though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. Likewise, the chaffan, for though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. The rabbit also, for though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig, For though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses, they are unclean to you. These you may eat, whatever is in the water, all that have fins and scales. Those in the water and the seas or in the rivers you may eat. But whatever is in the seas and in the rivers that does not have fins and scales among all the teeming life of the water and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you. And they shall be abhorrent to you. You may not eat of their flesh and their carcasses, you shall detest. Whatever is in the waters that does not have fins and scales is abhorrent to you. These, moreover, you shall detest among the birds. They are abhorrent not to be eaten, the eagle and the vulture and the buzzard and the kite and the falcon in its kind, every raven in its kind and the ostrich and the owl and the seagull and the hawk in its kind and the little owl and the cormorant and the great owl and the white owl and the pelican and the carrion vulture and the stork, the heron in its kinds and the the hoopoe and the bat and all the winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these you may eat among all the winged insects which walk on all fours, those which have above their feet jointed legs with which to jump on the earth. These of them you may eat, the locusts in its kinds, and the devastating locust in its kinds, and the cricket in its kinds, and the grasshopper in its kinds. But all other winged insects, which are four-footed, are detestable to you. By these, moreover, you will be made unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening. And whoever picks up any of their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Concerning all the animals which divide the hoof but do not make a split hoof, or which do not chew the cud, they are unclean to you. Whoever touches them becomes unclean. Also, whatever walks on its paws among all the creatures that walk on all, the, on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening, and the one who picks up their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. Now these are to you the unclean among the swarming things which swarm on the earth, the mole and the mouse and the great lizard and its kinds, and the gecko and the crocodile, and the lizard, and the sand reptile, and the chameleon. These are to you the unclean among all the swarming things. Whoever touches them when they are dead becomes unclean until evening. Also anything on which one of them may fall when they are dead becomes unclean, including any wooden article, or clothing, or a skin, or a sack, any article of which use is made, it shall be put in the water and be unclean until evening, then it becomes clean." As for any earthenware vessel into which one of them may fall, whatever is in it becomes unclean, and you shall break the vessel. Any of the food which may be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean, and any liquid which may be drunk in every vessel shall become unclean. Everything, moreover, on which part of their carcasses may fall becomes unclean. An oven or a stove shall be smashed, they are unclean, And shall continue as unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern collecting water shall be clean, though the one who touches their carcasses shall be unclean. If a part of their carcass falls on any seed for sowing, which is to be sown, it is clean. Though if water is put on the seed and a part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. Also, if one of the animals dies, which you have for food... The one who touches its carcass becomes unclean until evening. He too who eats some of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And the one who picks up its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Now every swarming thing that swarms on the earth is detestable not to be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly and whatever walks on all fours, whatever has many feet in respect to every swarming thing that swarms on the earth, You shall not eat them, for they are detestable. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm. And you shall not make for yourselves unclean with them, so that you become unclean. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make for yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So, thank God we live in these times, right? This is a lot to take in, and it can be very confusing trying to understand it. But before we get into this, let me bow and ask God for his strength, because we need it. Father, again, we come to you because you have the words of eternal life. We come to you because you are the source of our strength. You have given us your Holy Spirit, Father. You are ever-present. You have given us your Son. We are saved. We are children. Death no longer has dominion over us. We have been raised with Christ Jesus. We are your holy, righteous saints. And that holy righteousness, that holiness and righteousness is not a righteousness of our own, but is all based on the merits of Jesus. So, Father, as we are here this evening, we want to We want to understand your word. We want to give attention to your word. Because we know that you will honor your word. And that your word is truly living water for us and living food, Father. So help us this evening to understand you better, to know you better, to serve you better, and to love you more. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as we get to this next chapter... Again, I want us to be mindful of all that we've learned so far. So God, having made Israel a nation and having blessed them with greater favor than any other nation, has been showing them how they ought to conduct themselves in the world, in the land that they're about to go possess, right? And the heart behind everything that we have seen is the fact, again, that God is holy And they, as his people, also need to be holy in all their conduct. God wants pure worshipers, right? That's what he desires. That's what he deserves. He does not just accept just any kind of worship, right? We've been talking about this theme constantly. It's been coming up constantly. We have been learning in great detail that he determines what is acceptable, and what is not acceptable. And we saw this first with all the different offerings, right? Pastor John did a great job of going through all those offerings. And in order for them to be accepted, they had to be done exactly how God prescribed it. Even those which were free will, something that wasn't mandatory, but you wanted to do it out of the goodness of your heart, it had to be done the right way in order for it to be accepted. And this was true for the people as well as the priests. We know that as the people were set apart from all other nations, so were the priests who did the work of temple ministry. They were to be set apart from the rest of the nation. They were, in a very real sense, just like pastors and teachers, right? They're held to a higher standard. They were to teach and uphold all things that God has commanded them to do and the nation to do. Whether this came in a positive sense, that is obeying a clear directive that was given to them, or a negative sense, in other words, not doing something because there was no specific instructions on it. And we saw the tragedy of this not being taken seriously with Aaron's son. Pastor went over this two weeks ago. Let's just look at that real quick because it's important in Leviticus chapter 10. Verse 1 to 3 says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What a sad moment in Israel's history. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. What can he possibly say? And this wasn't a matter of just doing something that God explicitly commanded them not to do. Rather, in this instance... We do not see anything in Scripture that says God forbade it. If you go back to Exodus chapter 30, verse 9, it says, You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burn offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. So it says nothing unauthorized is to be put on it, but there is nothing that tells us explicitly what that actually means. Therefore, we can conclude that anything not commanded would be unauthorized, including anything not explicitly forbidden. In other words, just do what God says. He's not going to leave out anything. He knows best. So this evening, we are going to look at foods that were declared clean and unclean by the Lord. And this was to be a rule of life for the Israelites who were again to be different from the other nations this is important to understand that concept they were to be different from all other people groups every detail was to be followed and there was no exceptions not even a little bit there were to be clear distinctions between them and other people by virtue of how they lived every aspect of their lives. Not just the way they worshiped God on a particular day, but every day. They were to be a peculiar and unique people, different from everyone else. And what makes this difficult, or at least, at the very least, challenging maybe for us, is looking at this in their context without seeing the rest of Scripture, especially the New Testament. Now, the greatest way we know from to understand the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, is to look at it in light of the New Testament. The New Testament is the ultimate interpreter of the Old Testament, right? Or as the Old Testament progresses throughout, throughout history, right? But we also need to understand it in its historical context as well. So what I mean by difficult or challenging is trying to understand the reasons why God made these distinctions. And there's a number of explanations by good and well-meaning people. And some of them can be helpful, and some not really very helpful at all. So in this list of things unclean, and just so you guys know, I'm not going to give a verse-by-verse exposition because nothing would get done. It's not that kind of chapter, right? So in this list of things unclean, If you took notice, many were called, depending on what version you have, many were called an abomination or detestable, right? We saw that come up quite a bit. And these words are often used interchangeably, but they are actually a little bit different. An abomination is something regarded with disgust or hatred. Detestable means deserving of intense dislike. So a good way of understanding this that I think might be helpful for us, certainly is helpful for me, is if God says something is disgusting or that he hates it, then that very thing is deserving on our part for us to intensely dislike it because God hates it. So if God says something about this, then I must consider it that, whether I understand it or not because I do understand God, and I understand that he is supreme. So God said, therefore, what? We should, right? And that's how it should be. So what I would like to do this evening is first give a brief summary of what we just read, and then look at a few verses that speak of two important principles that every child of God ought to abide by and uphold. And these two principles we're going to see stem from the most important truth that every saint ought to love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength. So let's first see what's going on here. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever divides a hoof Thus making split hoofs and choose the cud among the animals that you may eat. So, among the land animals, those which were clean and able to be eaten had to meet both these qualifications, right? It wasn't this or that, but rather this and this, right? Then in verses 9 to 12, we see the creatures in the water that were permitted and that were forbidden. And only the ones that had both fins and scales were permitted, leaving everything else being forbidden. But the difference in these verses is that God doesn't just say that they are unclean, but that they are detestable to you. Right? Next, in verses 13 and 19, he now covers forbidden mammals that fly Pretty much birds, mostly birds, with the exception of a bat as well. And he does not mention those things which were permitted, so we have to do a little thinking, but for us, we have the whole Bible to help us, right? That's how we interpret Scripture. So the first thing I want us to see is the kind of bird that God provided for them in the wilderness to understand what was acceptable, right? So in Exodus 16.13, when he provided manna, he also provided Quail, and it says so. It came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And if you look and understand what quail is, quail is a bird in the Galliforms family. This would include chickens, turkeys, geese, and pheasants, and of those kind are in the same kind of family. We also know from what we've been learning that doves. And pigeons were clean, and they are in the Columbidae family, or Columbidae family, right? Deuteronomy chapter 14 has a very similar language that what we just read in Leviticus concerning the birds, and it says this in verse 11, chapter 14, verse 11. He starts this discourse by saying, You may eat any clean bird. And then he says, But these are the ones which you shall not eat, the eagle. And the vulture, and the buzzard, and the red kite, the falcon, and the kite, and their kinds, and every raven, in its kind, and the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, and the hawk, and their kinds, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the pelican, the carrion vulture, and the cormorant, the stork, and the heron, and their kinds, and the hoopoe, and the bat, and all the teeming life with wings are unclean to you. They shall not be eaten." And then he ends it by saying, you may eat any clean bird. What's the problem here? He still didn't mention what birds are clean, right? So one might say that by reasonable deduction of the, of the ones forbidden and looking at the few kinds that were listed as clean and seeing the types of, and attributes of these birds, that those not listed are okay. Again, don't hold me to that. I'm just trying to do my best in understanding, but that's kind of what I saw by just reasoning, right? And looking at what the scripture says. Going back to Leviticus in verse 20 to 23, it says, all the winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these you may eat among all the winged insects which walk on all fours, those which have above their feet jointed legs with which jump on the earth. These of them you may eat, the locust in its kinds, the devastating locust in its kinds, the cricket in its kinds, and the grasshopper in its kinds. But all the winged insects which are four-footed are detestable to you. Again, looking here and also before with the birds, if you've noticed, you've seen this phrase, in its kinds, right? So understanding in its kinds is also, I believe, going to be helpful for our understanding. A kind usually means that they can reproduce and that they are in the same family. They're of the same kind, right? So that's what this means here. In verses 24 to 28, it says, "...by these, moreover, you will be made unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening, and whoever picks up any of their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening." Concerning all the animals which divide the hoof but do not make a split hoof, or which do not chew cud, they are unclean to you. Whoever touches them becomes unclean. Also, whatever walks on its paws, that means our little dogs and cats, among all the creatures that walk on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening. And the one who picks up their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening they are unclean to you. So our loyal pet dogs and our cats and the big furry bear that we all like, all these are unclean. But now he speaks of even touching any of these. Just touching them made you unclean. And then in verses 29 to 44, we see a list of unclean creatures, both mammals And reptiles that creep or swarm on the earth. And eating them was forbidden, and coming into contact with them made one unclean, and they had to wash themselves. So what I want to say is whether or not this is obvious or not, you know, we've been going over a lot of this stuff from Genesis, especially Exodus, and then now into now into this. We need to be reminded that all this cleanness and uncleanness. All this that we've been seeing needs to be understood as being ceremonially clean and unclean. Something unclean was a picture of something. It was a picture of something sinful and unholy. And clean symbolized something pure and holy. But we need to understand that it wasn't sinful and unholy or pure and holy in and of itself. Right, God's creation we know was good, and that included all of it. But we also know that sin affected all of creation. Things started to become very much out of order because of one man's sin. So I think understanding this may also be helpful in our understanding of these scriptures. So I said that there are many things that people have said, giving their opinion on a matter concerning why certain things were clean and unclean. Now, I'm not sure if we can be certain for sure. But what I am going to say is not canon by any means, but just something that I observed. If we look at all the birds that were unclean, we will see that they were all predators or scavengers. Most of the swarming creatures forbidden were also predators or scavengers. Or we can say the other thing is they were garbage eaters, bottom feeders, which actually cleans the oceans and stuff like that. Predators, we know, have no respect for life. They kill, right, because they have to kill in order to eat, in order to survive. That wasn't how it was in the original created order, right, So death and meat-eating are both results of the fall. We all love our burgers, right? But guess what? It's a result of the fall. We didn't originally eat these things. So some will speak of the health benefits of all these instructions, and not just here, even other aspects of the ceremonial law. And I believe that that kind of fails pretty quickly for two reasons. And the first is going to be probably the most obvious, and that's going to be in Acts chapter 10, when Peter had his vision. This is what it says in Acts chapter 10, in verse 9 to 16. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet, this is like a big tablecloth, coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air, all things that were unclean. And a voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So what was God doing here? He was declaring an end to all the ceremonial things that were unique to the nation of Israel, because they have been fulfilled and abolished in Christ Jesus. And the second one is oftentimes overlooked, and it's in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 7, verse 14 to 23. The Pharisees were getting on Jesus because his disciples ate without washing their hands. And as the narrative goes on, it says this in verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I always love that phrase when we see it in Scripture. Because guess what? Anyone who has ears to hear are who? Believers, right? We have that wonderful privilege. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. Talks about the wickedness of the heart. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. These are all works of the flesh that Galatians tells us, right? It says, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So, if you go back and you see in verse 19, in parentheses, where it says, Thus he declared all foods clean, that's not something in the English translations that put a little parentheses there for understanding. That's part of the canon of Scripture. Jesus, at that moment, before Peter, declared all foods clean, putting an end to the ceremonial law because now he is there and he is the fulfillment. So those who try to make a case for the health aspects fail to see some of the flaws with it. I would say, would God now say something is good and clean when it can harm you? I don't think so. That doesn't make sense to me. So I think the heart of all these regulations can all be summed up in the words, be separate. That is separate from the rest of the world. Because of the unique time in God's story, there were many types and shadows that spoke of a greater reality yet to come. We saw many of these so much. We'll continue to see many when we're in this part of Scripture. And because of it, they needed to be followed. What doesn't change and what hasn't changed in every time in history is the fact that God's people are expected to obey him. And not partially, but totally. So the closing verses must be the focus of this particular chapter. It's not going to come up because I didn't put it on the notes. So I'm just going to read or turn your Bibles again to Leviticus 11, 44 to 47. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy and you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy. Why? For I am holy, he says. This is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth. Now pay attention to 47, because this is the main thing. Why? Why? Why did God do all these things? He's a God of purpose. To make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. So we can ask the question, why the distinction? Because they were distinct. And interestingly enough, eating a meal oftentimes is an expression of fellowship, right? You fellowship when you eat together. So by Israel not eating the things that the nations around were eating, remove them from table fellowship with them, which is a very intimate type of thing. It can be. So again, what doesn't change and hasn't changed in every time in history is the fact that God's people are expected to obey him and they are to do it fully and totally, not partially. This was the same For Adam, this was the same for Abel, the same for Seth, the same for Noah, for Abraham, for Moses, for David, and every single saint of God. So the heart behind all this, the teaching behind all this, is sanctification and progressive sanctification. That is the idea of growing more and more holy in heart and conduct, being more and more like Jesus. It is, what, it is what I like to call the high calling, the calling for those who are beyond privileged. Do we know, church, that we are beyond privilege this evening? Because we are beyond privilege. Look what Deuteronomy chapter 4 Verse 5 to 8 says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord, our God, whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? So Israel, as they were going to go on their journey and move on, had to have this mindset concerning the things of God do we believe this still today? Because it doesn't change. If we are obeying the Lord, then we are in fact missing out on a lot of sin and pleasure. Let's just be honest. We're missing out. You are missing out. But do we believe that what we are gaining in Him is so much better? Because it is. We know that all of His commandments are good, even those Temporary, ceremonial ones, because it had to do with God's grace. That is His favor, His unique favor, unmerited, on His people. And that's exactly what these ceremonial things were. And God's people ought to be about His business, because that is the high and worthy call. Ephesians 4.1 one. Paul says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Again, church, what is this walk? Well, it has to do with everything we do and everything that we say that is consistent with God's good and perfect word. And all this we know. We can have the encouragement. We can be excited and be confident, all this is performed, not by us, but by the Spirit of God who resides in us. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength with God with strength with God's supplies, the Spirit of God inside us, so that in all things God may be glorified. Why? Because it's not your work, it's His and that he may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now earlier I said that I wanted to speak of two important principles that every child of God ought to abide by and uphold. And I believe this is exactly what the nation of Israel had to do, and this is what God was trying to do with them. Two important principles that every child of God ought to abide by and uphold. And I said again that these two principles stem from the most important and the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. This is the acceptable response to a God who is holy. Remember Leviticus 10.3, Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron kept silent. So how do we do this? How do we do this, church? How do we treat the Lord as holy and honor him. Let me first read Isaiah five twenty. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Does it sound like something familiar to what we're dealing with right now in this world? So what is this saying? Well, I believe that is saying what I want to leave you with this evening. Those two principles that stem from the greatest commandment is hating the things that God hates and loving the things that God loves. So let's first look at hating the things that God hates. And this is exactly what the nation of Israel had to do. All these what, we, what seems to be, let's just be honest to us, crazy. Why do we have to do this? God said he wants you to do this, right? And he knows better than us. And he always has a purpose. Hating the things that God hates. Psalm 97, 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Church, we cannot say that we love him if we do not hate evil. We ought to hate evil. And can I say this? Not just hating it in general, though we should, or hating it when we see it in others, though we should, but most importantly... What do you think I'm going to say? Hating it in ourselves. I hate my sin. I despise it because it's against my Lord. It's against my King who saved me. We ought to hate it in ourselves. You know, humans are very often judgmental. We see sin. Pastor says this all the time. We can see sin and wrongdoing so clear in others, but oftentimes we fail to see it as clear in ourselves. It should be the opposite. We should get ourselves to the point where we see it in ourselves better than anything. How about Proverbs 8, 13? says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Fear, that means dread. That means awe. That means respect. It means all those things, and sometimes the context changes it a little bit. But it means hatred of evil. How can I say, I fear God, and yet I love, I love sin, and I boast in it? That doesn't make sense. The fear, the true fear he's talking about of the Lord, is hatred of evil, pride, and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 13:5: "The righteous hates falsehood, that it's lies, right? But the wicked brings shame and disgrace." Oh, how the wicked loves falsehoods. Lies are all over the place, all over the place. If you like me, you like my own context at work. Lies all over the place. Lies from my own company up high in the top of that, wanting you to lie. Lies with this, lies with that. Lies coming from the general contractor that hires all the subcontract. All they do is lie. It's all around us. Good is promoted as evil, and evil, good. The Lord said, you will be hated by the world on account of him. Right? What a great honor. What a great honor. Isaiah 61, verse 8, says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. The Lord loves justice. Justice that is righteousness. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19, we know these verses, and I love these verses. It says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. haughty eyes that's arrogantly thinking that you are superior, that we are superior. It says haughty eyes. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. The slaughtering of innocent babies in a womb that we do in this country still. A heart that devises wicked plans. Let me see how I can connive and do all these different things so that I can benefit, not having any regard for the person that I'm hurting. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Why? Because it's pleasurable. For a season. A false witness who breathes out lies. How important it is to have a witness who will tell the truth for justice to be served. And yet, all we have is falsehoods. And one, and we can never forget this because this comes right home one who sows discord among the brothers. Pastor, maybe you remember. Was last sermon, you said that one quote, <sighs> that something unifies us. I'm trying to remember that qu- quote from last week. A few guys brought it up in a, in a study. Well, it's certainly scripture that unifies us, right? That might have been it. Scripture unifies us as the church and love unifies us. You take both of those away, there's no unity. When one is sowing discord amongst the brethren, it's the most unloving thing you can possibly do because it's making something that is beautiful and making it out of order, making it not function properly. It's not good. So we need to get to ourselves to the point of hating the things that God hates, but it's not just that. It also means loving the things that God loves. And guess what? The only way we can do this before I get into these verses is we have to come outside of ourselves, outside of our fleshly desires, because the flesh does not love the things that God loves. Right? But thank God we are dual-natured. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Loving the things that God loves. Let's look at Psalm 37, 28. Says again, we just read this in another part the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Said again that justice is righteousness. And the idea here in this verse is the judgment that comes from exercising righteousness. You you, you made the case by truly being righteous. Think of how many unrighteous judges we have that make the judgment, and it's unrighteous. God loves justice. Psalm 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. Of course he does. He loves everything that is about him. He is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And guess what, church? Another thing that hasn't changed. Righteous deeds was, is, and always will be deeds that stem from obedience to his good and perfect law as summarized in the Ten Commandments. Those are righteous deeds, even for the church, who is saved not by righteousness of those deeds, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was righteous and perfectly did those deeds for us on our behalf, fulfilling the covenant of works for us on our behalf. So deeds that can be summed up as those deeds that prove, again, that we love God and love neighbor. That's the summary of the summary of the moral law, right? And my favorite verse is Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. He has already showed us. We have a very big Bible with 66 books. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. Don't worry about what others are doing. You know, I left my sons today as they were going to camp. They're a basketball camp. And there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of Bible sermons. They're gonna be fed a lot of the Word of God. But they're young boys, and you have a whole bunch of high school boys that are sinners, have different personalities. Some of them clash. And I said, you just worry about you. That is your goal. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, righteousness, to love kindness. Why must we love kindness? Romans says, do not forget that there's the goodness and kindness of God that led you to salvation. Without His kindness and goodness, we are not saved. And to walk humbly with your God, how can we not? He knows us. My very life is in His hands. I'm not guaranteed to wake up tomorrow, and neither are you. Any abilities that we have, Any talents that we have has nothing to do with you. Just like your height and the color of your skin has nothing to do with you. It's all God. Galatians 6 goes right with this, verses 3 and 5. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load again. Don't worry about comparing yourself with others. You just do what is right, and you can have the satisfaction of knowing that you did God's will. You don't have to worry about what the other person's doing. You worry about what you're doing. And brothers and sisters. I do not know how all this will look like in each of you. We all have different situations in our lives, right? We all have different circumstances. Though hating the things that God hates and loving the things that God loves is the same for all of us, the application may be different or look different depending on our own context. So that's something that we just need to think about. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, The Jews under the Old Covenant had to adopt a similar outlook on life. They had to learn to despise the foods that God said were unclean and to enjoy the foods that God said were clean. Think about the one catechism question, question one. I believe in the Westminster Catechism. I think it's question one. What is the chief end of man? To glorify him and enjoy him forever. Right? That includes when we have to not do things that our flesh wants to do and do things that our flesh doesn't want to do, but we know that God wants us to do it. He says this again. It was a choice between pleasing themselves and being unclean or pleasing the Lord and being clean. There was no middle ground, he says. If any food was questionable, it should have been automatically rejected lest they disobey God and defile themselves. Again, I don't know how all this looks with each of us here. Maybe we need to be more mindful of the things that we watch. Or maybe we need to be more mindful of the things that we say. Or maybe we need to be more mindful of the things that we do and please understand i'm saying maybe but what i really mean is certainly or definitely right we certainly all of us can do better i know i can and not just a little areas a lot of areas as a matter of fact i'm confronted with this reality on a daily basis And I am reminded again, when I am confronted with those realities, the decisions that I have to make, is it God, Mike, or is it you? And when I am confronted with these realities, I am reminded again that I stand in his amazing grace. And I am reminded of what Romans 6 tells me. And I press on. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? We're saved by grace. What does he say? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And then his words to the Philippian church, verses 12 to 16 in chapter 3. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. But he says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also was laid hold of me by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He hasn't arrived, right? But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. and and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to, to which we have attained and brothers and sisters, our life in Christ, again, is a privilege. Just as the nation of Israel, their calling, their context, their situation was a privilege. Therefore, let us respond by being a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable Service. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. And that love was determined before time began. And that you set us apart. To be a kingdom of priests and of kings. You made us royalty. For your glory. We were as of the scum of the earth. Such sinners were some of us. Yet we were washed in you, Lord. By grace we have been saved. You have done wonderful things for us by setting us apart. Now, Father, I pray, I beg of you, because the flesh at times is weak. I beg of you, help us to be those vessels that are worthy. Help us to be separate as we already are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please stand as we close in a doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.